she is so happy you're home. All right, can, can we just celebrate our veterans today? Yeah, we're, we're so thankful for each and every one of you guys who served. I know many of your children have served, and, and I know that the commitment and the price that means to you guys as well. It's not just those who leave, but the families that pay a great cost um, for our freedoms that we enjoy every single day. And I really enjoy that video because, man, there's just something pure and authentic about a, a little puppy that, that just loves you know, their, their person, their master, and, and there, there's no pretense, it's just straight affection, like hearing that golden retriever just crying because it's so happy that she's back, and, and, and I love that pure, just heart expression that's there, and, and the thing that we're looking at in this series, and if you've got a bulletin as you came in, and, and you, you see the old school cassette tape, for those of you guys who are at least my age, you remember what the mixed tapes were, and what they meant when somebody handed you a mixtape and said, you know, here, listen to this. Like, these are the songs that remind me about you. And, and it's their way of communicating. It was back then a way of communicating love and affection to someone. You made them a mixtape. These are the songs that make me think of you. Because the words remind me of you. But this is a problem that's happened in the church. A lot of times we sing songs and we have no clue what it means or we just don't think about the meaning because we're so familiar with the song that the words just flow out and it's not really connecting with our head or our heart. And, and this series is about making sure that there's a connection between what we're singing, the biblical truths that are in, embedded in that song, and, and how we worship. Because here's the thing, it's like, you know, some people come to church for the first time, and they sing that last song that we, we sang, you know, there is a cloud, and they're like, oh Lord, I came to church because my life is messed up, and they're singing about the weather. Like, <laughs> how is this supposed to help me? But there's a major picture within that song from the book of 1 Kings 18 that has these amazing principles of hope and faith and trust that are embedded to, into each one of those illustrations within the song. But if you don't know the story, you, you don't know how that plays out when, you know, the rubber meets the road of life. Like when things get tough, what does that song have to do with how I live? And so what I want to do today is I, I want to look into that passage because I believe that that, that, that that specific song, I selected that song because it was so meaningful to me at, at a point in preparation and prayer for Gulfside Church to be what it is today. Like, I, I was praying that God used that song in a mighty, mighty way. And, and when we understand the meaning behind a song, it, it can help us in great ways. And the fact is, we have tons of things memorized, but not all of them are helpful. Like, I mean, with songs, especially songs are powerful. Like, like can, can you guys, I'm, I, I don't make you talk much, but I'm going to see if I can get a few people to talk. Will you talk back to me? All right, there, there's a few. All right, will you talk back to me? All right, good. I just got to prime the pump a little bit. All right, guys, don't be afraid to do it. Um, all right, stop. Collaborate and see. All right, how long have you, how long has it been since you needed to know the lyrics to Ice Ice Baby? But, but, but they're in there, right? I mean, it's funny how songs do this to our head. Like, they just stick in there forever. Um, all right, ladies, guys, you can't see. It's all right, but I just, I, I, know, I know what it is. All right, I don't ever want to hear you say, I, 
wanted that one. Oh, we have one man who was brave. He had it. The, the girls were trying to get to sing it. They wanted to sing it. That's all right. It, it, it's funny. These things get embedded into our head. But, but the great thing is that when we understand the power of music and we understand the power of song, that if we embed scriptural truths, it, it can really help us in, in these difficult seasons. And, and there's been times where it's like I, I was in a rough place and there was a song that, that God used at one point in my life and then it came on the radio and it just helped lift my heart for that day. And I mean, that's another piece of this. Like, I want the songs that we sing, I want them to be things that get, that get stuck in your head so that it's just another tool that, that when you get in a rough patch of life, that, that God can use that to just re-spark your heart and say, I remember those truths. I remember that meaning. I, I, I know what this means for me, and, and I, I, I will make it through this day. I will make it through this week. I will make it through this month. I will make it through this season. That's, that's the heartbeat for this series. And we're going to start off, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at 1 Kings 18, and we're really going to focus into the, the end of the chapter, but to really appreciate the end of the chapter, you really have to have a good grasp of the context that's going on, uh, on throughout it, and we're looking specifically at some interactions between Elijah and King Ahab, and this isn't Moby Dick Ahab, this is like the king of Israel, of Samaria, and, and he was known as one of the most vile kings to that point in history that ever reigned. And then Elijah, his name specifically means, my God is Yahweh. And so to just even say his name was to be like calling the name of the Lord, which for someone who is not following the, the God of Israel, not following Yahweh, then, then it was almost like tough to get out of your mouth to even say Elijah's name. It was almost despicable for them. And, and in Israel this time, when, the, when Yahweh was spoken, I mean, you guys have heard the, the commandment, do not take the Lord's name in vain. What that is really talking about is when they would say Yahweh, they wouldn't even write out all the letters in it because they wanted to protect when they would say that name. And, and, and when they said it, they had to say it with the full meaning, a full understanding of the meaning of the name. And it's not just about using it in an angry voice, but it was just even to say it casually. To say Yahweh without the full understanding and expression of who you were talking about was to take the Lord's name in vain. And so here we have Elijah, who, who his name means, my God is Yahweh. And, and, and Ahab, who was a king who was vile, and he married Jezebel. You guys have heard the term Jezebel, like they throw that at women sometimes, like she's a Jezebel. And it's a call back to this, this woman who started some really evil things happening in, in the kingdom of God. And, and so Jezebel, she, Ahab never should have married her. Like he stepped outside of the bounds of the law to marry her in the first place. And when she came into the palace with him, she brought along with her the, the Asherah and the, the Baal religions. Now, we hear that and we think, okay, it's a different religion. They probably did some, some strange stuff. But I, I just always, I think it's part of understanding the context that it wasn't just that they believed differently or that they were wrong in their belief. It's that Baal would require child sacrifice. I mean, Asherah and Baal would require temple prostitution, like ritualistic prostitution. And, and so when we talk about it having a negative impact on, on the kingdom that was supposed to be a light for God, like it was bringing in some of the most despicable acts of what they would call worship along with it. And we'll see some different things about how their prophets would worship and prophesy in this chapter, but I just want to begin to wrap the context around of saying, okay, when, when we're talking about these different religions, it's not just like, oh, they were a little bit different, like it's, there was some, some terrible, vile things that were part of their worship. And so Elijah was a prophet of God, and he was hated by Ahab, and he was hated 
by Jezebel to where he had basically been in hiding. And then we're going to pick up at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. We'll have the words up on the screen here behind me. And it says, Later on in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him, I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had grown very severe in Samaria. Now, in the song that we sang, it described a dry season, and it's calling back to this chapter in this, this specific passage. This dry season was three years, three years long. Now, I understand going through rough patches in life, but a lot of times our rough patches, they don't last three years. Not only do they not last three years, that doesn't include limited drinking water. The death of the crops which we survive upon. I mean, the death of the crops that fed our animals to where, you know, a severe drought is not just impacting food, it's impacting livestock, which impacts future. I mean, cattle was described as wealth. It was used to describe someone's wealth. And so as cattle dies, someone is losing their wealth and their future and their children's future. And so the drought that the, the, the nation that Samaria was going through at this point, it was severe. And I think that, I mean, sometimes when I read these things, I almost have to like just step out and just place, okay, what would my emotion, my anxiety, and my stress be like if upon three years I was still waiting for rain? If upon three years I was still worried, like, God, are you going to provide? And, and then we see this where God is speaking to Elijah and he's saying, go and tell the king that I'm finally going to send rain. And, it, and it's, this is just an interesting side note, but in case you've gotten blurry on this or confused, that when you're going through a difficult time, I don't ever want you to have the, the concept or the idea that God stops speaking when things get rough. That, that if I'm struggling, if I've been struggling, if I've been making decisions, or I've been, just been going through a time where I don't have what I think I need, that God is just absolutely not going to speak to me. Because the fact is, the turning point in these seasons, the turning point in these droughts that we experience in our life, the challenges in our marriage, challenges in our workplaces, I'm going to say, they usually get redirected and changed because we finally hear a word from God. Because we finally get to a point where we'll listen to Him, and He is ready to move. And so God speaks to Elijah and he says, the rain is going to come. And I'm going to summarize the middle section of this chapter because, I mean, this part is just so rich and it's one that we've talked about before. But what happens is he goes and he tells the king and then the king and all the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they come up to a mountaintop to meet Elijah to kind of have this face off. And I just want to kind of go through this part because it impacts the last part of the, this um, chapter that the song is written off of. But just imagine the crowd, imagine the anxiety, 400 prophets of Asherah and 450 prophets of Baal go up to this mountaintop for a sacrifice. And it's 850 verses 1, basically. And Elijah says, all right, pick, pick the bull, perform your sacrifice, and we're going to let God light the fire. I mean, this is the rules for the game. We're both going to present sacrifices before God, and the one that serves the true God, that true God will rain fire down from heaven. No one's going to light a match. The fire's not going to go from the bottom up. The fire's going to come from the top down. And so set up your sacrifice. You get first pick. And, and, and they start to worship, and they set up the sacrifice be, before their gods. And as was their custom, it, it says, and you can read this through 18, it, it says that they were cutting themselves. That they were screaming, that they were hobbling and dancing around calling out to their God to, to rain fire down and show, show Baal to be true. And Elijah, 
I mean, I, I want to remind you, everything we see in Scripture is not an example of what to do. Like, there's Jesus, who is the example you can follow all the time. Elijah is not a perfect person. And Elijah, he starts mocking them. Like, he starts making fun of them. What it actually says is, he says, you know, just call out louder. Maybe, maybe your God's asleep and you need to wake him. Maybe your God is busy, he's relieving himself. And, and you just need to call out louder. Maybe he's gone on a trip and, and he's away right now. And, and Elijah starts to mock them and, and say, you know, call louder. And they cut themselves more and they cry out more passionately. And we look at this and we're like, man, they are nuts right now. Like, who would ever fall into something like this? But I mean, to just kind of step back, and I know that it's different, but it's the same. It's like, in Ecclesiastes talks about there's nothing different under the sun. Like, there's nothing new under the sun. There was social pressure that, that if you didn't perform the sacrifices to Baal, that you would be the reason that the drought was going on. And none of us want to look like we're the ones to blame. There was social temptation to be involved in the sexual promiscuity that, that was part of this. There, there was draw within the culture to go and do this, and this wasn't just from, you know, some people. This was from the king down. And, and if you pay attention to what happened throughout the chapter, the king and Jezebel rounded up many prophets of, of Yahweh and had them put to death. And in fact, Obadiah, he took a hundred prophets because they were all getting killed, and he hid them in caves, and he would bring them food to provide for them. So there was a great social pressure to conform. If you did not conform, it was dangerous to you, and you know how it is. If you don't conform to the social standards, you will get lit up, and it's not, you know, getting burned physically now. It's getting burned on Facebook, getting burned on Twitter, getting burned on Instagram. You will have social consequences if you voice a view that is out from the normal. If you try to protect the sanctity of life, you can lose your position at work. We've seen it happen across with CEOs throughout our country. There's a cost to pay if you don't conform, and that still happens, and we still see people that we love and respect fall into something that they know is wrong because they don't want to pay the social consequences. And so it's easy to look at this story and be like, oh, I identify with Elijah who's serving the one true God. But the truth is a lot of times we kind of sway over to this side. I'm just going to do what, what most people do. I'm going to live how most people are living. I'm going to live on the side where I don't have to worry about being left out. I don't want to be the person who's one against 850. Very, very rarely do we want to stand on the side where it's just one. And so they're up on this mountain, and he challenges them, and then it, no, nothing is happening. There's no, no fire falling down. And then it, it's, it's great, in 1 Kings 18, it includes some details. It says that the altar to the Lord that was supposed to be there, that it was completely in ruins. And so before Elijah did anything, he began to rebuild the altar. And then as part of that, they brought 12 stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. They were all supposed to be as one, though they were incredibly divided at this point. And, and then he set up the sacrifice, and, and he poured water over, because he wanted to show it would just be impossible to light this thing on, on fire. And then there, there's a detail in, in his prayer before he asked God to, to show himself that I think is important. And in verse 36, this is kind of picking up on the, this picture of the sacrifice and the battle between the two. And it's not just the prophets that are there. It says all of Israel came up to watch. And then in verse 36, it says, At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, I, just, I, I have to pause in the middle of this. Because Elijah, God spoke to him about, I'm going to send rain. Like, the drought's going to end. 
and he believes that God is going to do it. I mean, he has this evidence like, okay, God has spoken this to me, and I believe that God is going to do this, but like the feeling of everything around him, like there had to be some anxiety there. Like, God, when are you going to show up? Because even when he's praying this prayer, he doesn't know when or really if God is going to send fire from heaven to light this. So at the usual time for, the offering, the, for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. And I just kind of imagine him looking around. Okay, where's the fire? Better keep praying. <laughs> oh Lord, answer me. Answer me. So these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God. And that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young, the bull, the, the offering, the wood, the stones, the dust. It even licked up all the water from the trench. And when the people saw this, they fell down on their the ground and cry out, the Lord, he is God. And it's interesting to me, the, the point at which immediately God answered the prayer was as he said, let them know that you have brought them back to yourself. It was almost as if God wanted to reestablish, I am not rejecting you. And this goes along with the heartbeat of God throughout scripture from Genesis, from after the fall of man, all the th- way through to Revelation, where, where the spirit and the bride are calling out, anyone who is thirsty, come and receive the water of life. There's this continual cry throughout, throughout the, the lifespan of humanity where God is saying, I'm calling you back to myself. And, and when they did this, fire, fire fell and, and enveloped it, and it was this amazing, critical moment that began to turn the nation some. But when you think back to the promise of God of what needed to happen, the ground was still brown because all of the plants were dying. I mean, this was a great moment, but this was not rain yet. And they defeated the prophets of Baal, and they said, we're not, we're not going to allow that anymore. But the fact is, the king and his wife both still s- said, you know, Baal and Asher, this is part of who we are. It didn't change their minds. It didn't change their hearts. But it persuaded some people. And it was like this great victorious moment, but it still wasn't an answer to the prayer. And Kind of be, before I go too far in this, you, you know, that, that, that feeling of this is what everyone expects and wants out of me. Th- th- this is what the stress and the situation, this is what my, my finances look like. This is what my marriage feels like. Like all of these different things that affect the way that we live, that are, that are feelings, I understand that those are things that guide and push us in a certain direction and behavior. They affect the way that we choose to worship God or not worship God. And I think that often I get so dependent on that feeling to make the right decision. And I look at Elijah in the way that, that he lived, and the way that he lived in this specific situation. I say one of the things that we can learn that God wants from us is that God, wants a, God is more concerned that you trust him than if you feel him. To get up in a situation and risk your reputation, to risk really your life before these prophets of Baal and say, you know, you show your God to be true or I'll show my God to be true and we'll follow that one. I mean, that that takes a huge amount of trust and none of that would have felt like the right thing to do because it's like the whole crowd is going this way and I feel like I have to go this way. And I just want to speak into your situation right now because I understand there are some real 
struggles in the house. And I know that in your heart and in your mind, you feel like this is not going the way that it should. This is the point where faith meets the road. We say, I understand the evidence and the situation feels this way, but this is what God has spoken. And so when, when I weigh the evidence, I have to say, God, I am going to trust what you said about how I should live and what I should do over what I feel and see. Because I'm going to tell you, in, in anyone's heart who stands in front of 850 people who oppose them, your feelings are going to say, you are on the wrong side of that line, buddy. But we have, to, we have to stand on God's word, stand on what he's spoken to us above our feelings. No one likes the feeling of a dry season. No one likes the feeling of having the unpopular idea. And none of us likes going against what we feel even. And I'll tell you, God does care about how you feel. But what he says in 1 Peter 5.17 is he says, Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. There are times in your life where you have to take what you're feeling and put that to God and say, right now my feelings are pointing me in the wrong direction, but I'm going to trust in you. He cares what you feel, but he, he's more concerned about whether or not you trust him. So, so they're in a situation where there's still no rain, and we're going to pick up at verse 41. And what, what's happened here is the, the fires fell down, and they defeated the prophets of Baal. And, and then Elijah, he, he's, he's ready to go, and, and he says, to Ahab the king. He says, go get something to eat and drink. You, you go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Now, I want to tell you that based on the context and based on what happens next, Elijah is, you know, he might hear something with his faith, but he is not hearing something from um, his, his ears. I kind of have a footnote written in here for myself that he's lying right now. Uh, be <laughs> Because what he's doing, he said, King, you just go and get some food and drink somewhere else. And then we see verse 42. It says, So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. And then he said to his servant, Go and look towards the sea. And he was sending him to, to go look for any sign. And the servant looked and went and returned and said, I don't see anything. They were looking for a cloud. They were looking for some sign that God is going to act now on what God said he was going to do. Because even though God did this miraculous and this huge sign in front of the whole nation, it still wasn't a fulfillment of what they were expecting to happen. And he knew that his life was on the line for rain to show up. Why is Elijah praying? Because he's still waiting. He's still believing. He's still asking. I believe that Elijah had both hope and fear in this situation. And Elijah believed, but he wasn't seeing it yet. And this is a circumstance of living out your faith. This is a process that you will go through because we all go through these seasons where, man, things are difficult, and I didn't think they should be this difficult. There should be a sign of hope. There should be an easier path. But right now it's tough. And even after this tremendous victory, they're still waiting for God to do what he said to, that he'd do. And then what, what happens next? It says that the servant returned and he didn't see anything. And it says seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Seven times he had the servant go and climb the rest of the mountain, look for anything on the horizon, any clouds coming from the sea, come back down. Nothing. 
And on the seventh time, what he says is, there, I, I see a cloud, but it's like the size of a man's hand. Like, I mean, that, 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 yeah, there's a cloud, but that's not enough rain. Like, that's, that can't be God's answer. And, and then Elijah ha- has this response to it that, that I think is just faith-filled. But in verse 44, it says, Finally, the seventh time a servant told him, I see a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the Red Sea. Right? Rising from the sea. And then Elijah shouted, Hurry to Ahab and tell him, Climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. Now, now this song and this passage uh, of, of having to go and sit and pray and beg while someone else is going and running up and down the mountain just looking for a sign of hope, just anything. It, it was actually the, the summer before we planted the church and we were still working out what building we were going to be in. And I was believing that this is where we were supposed to be. And, and I, one of my friends was actually preaching and, and I was at this conference and he's preaching, and he's preaching on this, and then we sing this song, and it was during that song that God specifically told me, he said, Paul, this is, Island Coast is where you're going to be, but you're going to have to run up and down that mountain. Time after time, you're, you're going to go, and there's going to be no sign of hope, but it doesn't matter. You're going to have to run up and down that mountain, and then eventually, I'm going to send the rain. And I've shared with you guys before, if not, I love telling the story. I've probably told it three times this year, but it's one of those things. I got rejection email letters with, like, sad-faced emojis in it from the school, which is a great way to, like, really soften the blow, like, thanks for the emoji. That really helped me. Um, But, like, this is where God has called us to be, and I'm going to continue to pursue it. I'm going to continue to run up the mountain until the day finally broke where where they signed the papers, and this was where we were going to plant. Now, now look, that's one story, that's one circumstance, but it's time after time, and this is what I need you to see. That there are going to be times where you know God has spoken into your life that you need to protect your marriage. You need to fall back in love with your spouse. But you tried to take her out on date, and she said no. You, you tried to, to do something kind for him, and he ignored it. You know that God said, you know, I have a future for you in this company, and it's going to be tough, but you're going you're gonna to move up, but you have to work hard, and, and you do extra work, and someone else gets the credit. There are times where you feel like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not seeing the results that I'm supposed to see, and the fact is that you're in the middle of a season. And you have to continue to honor God, continue to pursue the calling, until he sends the rain. And the beginning of it, man, it might only look like a cloud. It might be the smallest sign of hope. It might be the smallest possibility that things will be getting better. But the fact is, God needs us to learn to trust to his word rather than our feelings. God needs to get us to trust what he's written to us in scripture above what we feel and what we see from other people. And I love Jesus' words to, to his disciples in John 13, 7. He says, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but someday you will. And that's so much how God works through so many situations of our life where we say, I know that God's asking me to do this, but I don't know why. And I don't know if it'll bring me to the right result, but we do know that if we follow what he says, that it will always end better than us disobeying him. And as we continue to be faithful in those small things that he's called us to do, I believe that eventually he sends the rain. And in the song, it says that that part which says, you know, we receive your rain. 
which is a weird thing to, to sing, like it's to just try to figure out on your own, like what does this mean? I mean, we have so many songwriters who are so deep in scripture and so deep in poetry that it's like they write these and they don't always connect with our head and heart. But the fact is, when you look at this story in First Kings, there are so many people who were in the city that day that they just looked up and said, oh great, it's finally raining. Like, I mean, they didn't know what happened on the mountain. And, and they didn't know what happened in Elijah's life. And, and it, it tells us in the Old Testament that the rain falls on the wicked and the righteous. Like, so the, this blessing, it hit everyone, but not everyone understands it the same way. Because there was people there who were present for the sacrifice, who heard what Elijah said, heard what he said to Ahab, that rain would come, that he could hear rain coming because of what Yahweh has done and is doing. And, and, and when, they, when they received that rain, they had a completely different reaction from the people who just looked like, oh, the drought finally ended. And, and it's the same way here. For those of you guys who've been here since the beginning, man, there's so many stories around Gulfside, and just even in the last couple months, there's so many that he's already been writing. Band, if you guys would come up and help me begin to wrap this thing up. As I walk through the building, I mean, it's just because I, I've been present that I know some of these, and some of you guys are learning these stories as we go. But even as you walk in the, the front doors and you see Don and Amy Goodman, and, and they, they hug you and, you greet, and they greet you and you don't even know who they are, and you're like, man, that's really cool that they have such a nice person to welcome. But, but you didn't see the story of how God took, like, she, my wife saw a family playing volleyball, and she's like, hey, you go play volleyball, and I meet them, and we become friends, and then God speaks to Janine, and, and says, you know, you guys are going to be part of Gulfside, and then through that, we get connected to Aspen, who becomes our worship leader, and through them, they knew Amy and Don, and God called them in to be here, and they make a difference at the front door every week. Zoe, who's back there doing childcare and taking care of the babies, I was preaching to her when she was in middle school in Muncie, Indiana. She moved down here, and I didn't know it, saw her post something in Cape Coral's Facebook Marketplace, and now she's here serving. I, I mean, there, there's so many situations. There's so many stories. I, God opened a crazy door for me to go preach at another church, and, and Bree got connected to us, and, and her mom, Liz, and, and Liz is the lady who's always super smiling right at that door. Bree makes so many things happen around here. It's incredible. But, but it's this chain uh, of grace that gets set off. And unless you know all the things that God has done, you miss how extravagant of a blessing this church is becoming. And someone else just walks through and they're like, oh, it must be nice to have such a great group of workers. But they don't see all that God did. And I know so much is true in your life too, where you've seen God's hand at work in incredible ways. But if you've been in the middle of a difficult season, where you're just questioning, God, will you ever send that rain? Will you ever send that blessing? The heartbeat that I want you to go into it is that when it does come, that you're ready for it. And the truth is, God has given us a blessing that's even bigger than rain. It's bigger than crops. It's bigger than drinking water. And as the song says, it says that Jesus Christ opened the heavens. He didn't just bring us water. He brought us spiritual life. He brought us eternal life. He brought us abundant life on earth. And God has written us promises throughout Scripture in Philippians 4.7. It says, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God isn't just going to provide raindrops. He's not just going to provide enough for you to get by. 
but he is going to provide a flood. Now, church, stand with me as we close this thing up. Stand up. I believe that God is going to provide all that you need for this season and to bring you into the next season. But will you open your heart up to what he wants? Sing with me as we rejoice in the truth that God's love is going to pour into us like a flood, that he is more than enough, that he is all that we need when we open our heart before him.